What I'm going to talk about this morning, the title of the message is The Lordship of Christ. The Lordship of Christ. And before I even really get into that, what I want to start with, you know, this is something that I've wrestled with. I think most of my life as a Christian and as a pastor for that matter, the Lordship of Christ. I know one of the things that I would always ask myself is, you know, I see Savior and Lord connected so often in Scripture. Can I even be a saved person? Or in other words, can he be Savior if he's not my Lord? And I would wrestle with that, going back and forth. And, and then I discovered if I'm not careful, I can get into some really goofy thinking when I start to look at those things and, and trying to formulate it in my own mind and my, my opinion and what it means, etc. And then I get drawn back to the Scripture, fortunately. So this morning, I am going to uh, share with you what I believe the Scripture shows us, shows me, as the best I can. And it's interesting how many things in the Bible can be so, um, they, can be so di- they can be understood so differently by well-intended people with different doctrines and all of that stuff. And this is one of those things. You know, there's, it, it, not everybody agrees on lordship. There's a phrase out there called lordship salvation, meaning if he's not lord, you can't possibly be saved, or at least that's one meaning of lordship salvation. So you get into so many different definitions and terms and things like that. So I'm going to just try to share uh, as best I can from my heart, my, my processing this subject, because I think it is a critical subject, obviously. Um, in the book of Acts, the book of Acts is really kind of a history of the very beginning of the church, the Christian church. And it's interesting, if you look in the book of Acts, and it's easier to just, if you have a concordance, Google a couple of words. But if you look through the whole book of Acts, now the numbers here I'm going to share would vary a little bit depending on your translation, but they're pretty close. In the book of Acts, guess how many times the word Savior is written. Two. Two. In the whole book of Acts, we see the word Savior twice. Now, when it comes to the word Lord, it's written 92 times. And if you add where it says the Lord Jesus, that's approximately another 13 times. And if you add the phrase the Lord Jesus Christ, it's another six or seven times. So depending on your translation, you're going to see Savior twice and Lord in one form or another almost 110 times. I think that should tell us something about how important to the early church, to the disciples, to Paul, the concept of Lord and therefore Lordship really is. The word that's translated Lord in the Greek is kurios. Kurios. You can put that slide up there and just look at it as however you'd like, but in the Greek, it's a word that does have different meanings, and even when it's translated all those many times in the book of Acts, it's used differently at times. Sometimes it's just a term of respect. In other words, sometimes you'll see that same word kurios just translated as sir. For example, 
But the most, most of the times, it, it means way more than just sir, especially when it's in reference to Jesus. It can mean so many things. In the Hebrew Bible, excuse me, when the Hebrew Bible was translated first into the Greek, the, the Septuagint, when the Septuagint was first translated from the Hebrew to the Greek, they used the word kurios to translate two words from the Hebrew that clearly talk about the divinity, the divine God, and they were his names, Yahweh and Jehovah. So when the Greek translation from the, of the Septuagint came into existence, it was no longer written as Yahweh or Jehovah. It was Lord, Kurios. And in early biblical times, when you said Lord, it meant, and in reference to Jesus, it meant he's God, he is divine. It made reference to his divinity, his deity, if you would. It was a proclamation. And matter of fact, in the early church, it was kind of the first confession of the early church. Jesus is Lord. Didn't take long to memorize that one. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is divine. Jesus is deity. He is master. And you can look at the definition of that word however you would like. It was interesting, in the Roman culture of the day, when the Caesars were in control, there, it was the word that they would use, even as a test, to see about your loyalty to Caesar. He was divine by his own proclamation, and there would be, even be a religious ceremony of sorts before he would be considered Lord Caesar, divine Caesar. It acknowledged their loyalty. If you declared Caesar is Lord, there was a phrase, kurios, or kurios kaisir, Caesar is Lord. In the early times of the church, they would actually come and confront people, demanding that you demonstrate your loyalty to Caesar by saying that phrase. It was one of the ways that they began to identify Christians, to persecute and execute Christians at the time of Roman Caesars. So when you see the early disciples come to this conclusion, this realization, the reality that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is kurios, they were making a public proclamation that he was God, that he was deity, that he was divine, in the case of, the, of Rome, Caesar wasn't. And you can imagine the trouble and the persecution that you would come into. It's interesting, sidebar here a little bit, in the Gospel of John, after Jesus has been risen from the dead, he had appeared to all the other disciples, but poor Thomas wasn't there, right? Most of us know the story. He wasn't there. He comes in, and they're all excited telling him about this, and he's like, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Unless I can put my hands in the holes, the nail holes, the hole in his side. Unless I, I can do that, I'm not going to believe it. And then a little bit later, Jesus comes again. And this time Thomas is there. And Jesus basically quotes to Thomas what he said it would take to believe him. But 
notice when you look at that next time that there's no indication whatsoever that he put his hands in the nail marks or the spear hole in his side. What it appears to be is he saw Jesus, Jesus spoke those words, and immediately this is what came out of Thomas's mouth. My Lord, my God. A proclamation recognizing the deity of Jesus. And this took place after the resurrection of Jesus. Who made Jesus Lord? God the Father did. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36. This takes place in sermons of Peter's sermon. And he has explained about the suffering of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. And then he finally says these words in verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured. In other words, get this, guys. Anything else you may doubt, be assured of this one fact. Be assured. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Both Lord and Christ. There need be no doubt that he is deity, that he is God. Be assured of this fact. In a letter to the Philippians, Paul wrote these words, and he wrote the words that I'm going to share with you from verse 9 to 11 after he had talked about how Jesus had humbled himself and came to earth as a man. And he humbled himself and was obedient. And it says he was obedient even unto death, death at the cross, death on the cross. And then he says in verse, starting in verse 9, therefore, why? Therefore, because... Because of what Jesus did, because of his suffering, his death, his burial, and resurrection, because of his obedience to death on the cross, because of all of that, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that is the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. After, therefore, because of all he did, it's like, it's like he bestowed, the Father bestowed upon Jesus the honor of being Lord because of what he accomplished, because of what he did. Because he surrendered himself. He laid down his life. He was obedient to the Father's will, full obedience to accomplish the work of salvation on the cross, his crucifixion, and probably equally important is the victory, the final victory, the complete victory of the resurrection, defeating sin and death, why he was called Lord. He is the Lord. And one of the things, and I hope you can track with me, but my wife would know how I've wrestled with this this week. But one of the things that I had to settle in my mind, because I'll see, hear the phrase, and I've said the phrase many times, i got to make Jesus Lord. I'm sorry, that is just not true. He is Lord. He's Lord, period. And if I'm saved, he's my Lord, period. 
I can't make him anything other than what God has declared him to be. He is Lord. I had to get that settled in my heart and in my spirit. He is Lord. That's who he is. In the life of every believer, he is Lord. Because God has declared that's who he is. Because of this fact, we are not our own. We're not our own. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it starts and makes it very clear. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you when you have received him from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, therefore, why? Because we don't belong to him. We belong to ourselves. We're his. We belong to him. Why? Because he laid down his life. He died on a cross. He shed his blood. He was raised from the dead. He is Lord as declared by God. He is Lord. Therefore, honor him. Honor God with your body. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. When Paul wrote that to the church at Corinth, he was kind of <clears throat> using as a metaphor what was common in the, that time in history, the ancient slave trading, where slaves would be bought and sold. And when I bought a slave at that time, that slave was mine. I'm his master. He belongs to me and all that that would mean. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we are all called to be bondservants of Jesus, slaves to Jesus, if you would, voluntarily slaves to Jesus. Why? Because he purchased us at the cost of his son, the shed blood of Jesus. Therefore, we belong to him. Bondservants. In Romans chapter 14, Starting at verse 7, it says, For none of us live to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. The Master, our Master. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. For this reason, so that he could be Lord, that he would be Lord, he died and was resurrected. So when I say he is Lord, that's why he is Lord. He, he did what no one else could do. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He sacrificed his life for us. Lord. In 1 Peter 3, 15, just a short segment, it says this, but in your hearts set aside Christ as Lord. So the instruction there that Peter is giving us is, is, you know, he lives in you. Set him apart as Lord. Some standards say sanctify him as Lord of your life. In other words, set him apart as your Lord and everything that you do should be because he's your Lord. He's your master. So what does it really mean 
when I say the Lordship of Christ. It means that we recognize Jesus for who he is. It means that we recognize and voluntarily submit to him as an authority in our life. And we also submit to the discipline that he would give us in the transformation of us into the image of Christ, the likeness of Christ. Second Corinthians, Colossians 2, verse 6. So then, just as you received Jesus as Lord, just as you received him as Lord, most of the time, I think, a lot of us would say we receive Jesus as our Savior. And that's important, and it's true. But we need to understand and acknowledge we received him as our Lord because the only way he could possibly be our Savior is if he was truly Lord, if he was truly God, if he was truly deity, if he was truly divine. So just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened to the faith, in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Continue to live in him. Just as in the beginning, continue to live in him. Only... It says being rooted. You know, we received our salvation by grace through faith. And the reality is this. The only way that we can submit ourselves to him as Lord of our life is by grace through faith. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Doesn't mean we're perfect. As believers, as Christians, I think most of us could acknowledge quite quickly, we are not perfect. But irregardless, he is Lord of our life. There's rooted and built up in him. Rooted in him. It's something that took place in the past. Yours and my roots were placed in him at the moment of our salvation. And it's an interesting comparison, it says rooted, something stable, but then built up, something that's growing and changing. It's a continuing process. This, this concept of lordship, of surrendering our life to Christ, living for his glory, is, is a process. His being lord of our life is not a process. It's a truth. But us submitting to his lordship is a process. I hope everybody sees the difference. Because there is a lot of theology out there called lordship salvation that means the only way that you can truly be saved is if he's truly lord of your life. I don't even know what that looks like because he'll never, I'm never perfect. And every time I fall and every time I fail and every time I would sin, does that mean he's no longer lord of my life? Where's my security and my salvation through Christ? And there's a lot of teaching like that. But we are, or we should be, being transformed continually more and more into the image of Christ. And part of the image of Christ was he was submitted to the will of the Father. He was obedient to the point of death on a cross. Submission and obedience. We are to be transformed in the image of Christ. 
There should be continually in each of us as we continue to grow and develop a, a transformation more into the image of Christ, more in submission to the Word of God, more submitted to the Word of God, more, more obedient to the Word of God because there's a Christ-like growing in us. We need to participate, but we'll never do it on our own. And we don't want to fall into these traps of any type of works theology. Salvation is by grace through faith and faith alone. That's it. You can't earn it. And I believe lordship is something that comes out of our faith. Rooted in him, but then it goes on and says built up in him, built up in him, that we would grow, bear much fruit. My translation said strengthened in the faith as you were taught or established in the faith. As we were established in the faith, we should remain in the faith. As Paul is writing these letters to the church at Coloss. And overflowing with thanksgiving. You know, there's one thing about being thankful. If we're truly being thankful, it truly brings to our remembrance all that Christ has done for us. What are we thankful to God for? Think about that for a second. And if that kind of thankfulness and thanksgiving is continually coming out of your heart, that you are thankful for his love, you're thankful for, for your salvation, you're thankful that he took the punishment we deserved, you're thankful for all the many promises of God, you're thankful for the peace of God that passes all understanding. You're thankful for the hope that lives in you and the joy of the Lord that gives you strength. You're thankful for all these things. As you're thankful, it brings to remembrance all these amazing things that the Lord did to us, did for us. I want to just say this again. I know I said it just a few minutes ago. That Don't get the concept that you're perfect, ever going to be perfect or have to be perfect to recognize and submit to Jesus as Lord. Remember, first of all, he is Lord, period. If you are saved, if you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he is Lord, right? You accepted him as Lord and Savior. He is that declared by God the Father. But we need to submit to him as Lord. It's not perfection. But what it does mean is we have a new master. You know, in Romans 6, Romans 10, if you want to read through these chapters, you can read all about these things that changed in us and many other places. We are a new creation in Christ. We had an old master. That old master was sin. We have a new master, Christ God, is our new master. The old master was defeated. It means that there is, there was a change. You know, it might not have been a change that everybody could see, but the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there was an internal change that took place. You were born again of the Spirit of God. But there should continue to be change as the Spirit of God works in our life. And we learn by faith to continue to submit to his leading as the Lordship of Christ. As we continue to grow that way, more and more in our lives, it should become the reality that we have heard prayed many times, not my will, but your will, Father. Not my way, God, but whatever you want. It's up to you. How does it happen? How can this lordship thing take place? I mean, it's such a battle, right? Well, as I've already kind of said and alluded to, um, it's faith. 
as long as Jesus is the object of our faith, right? Not faith in your own ability to change, not faith in somebody else to help you change, it's not faith in your mentor, those are all fine and dandy, but it's faith in the object of our faith, Jesus Christ. I'm not going to go through all these scriptures, I'm just going to hit the highlight in a few of them, but Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we know justification, our sins were dealt with by the work of Christ and our faith in receiving that grace. In Acts 26, the end of verse 18, it says, and we are sanctified, sanctified by faith. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, and we live by faith and not by sight. In Galatians 2, 19 and 20, I want to read this one. For though, but for through the law, I died to the law so that I might be alive for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our life that we live is by faith in the Lordship of Christ also happens by faith. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says we keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's by faith. As our faith grows, matures, as our faith becomes more sound and secure in Christ and who he is, I believe lordship will happen naturally by faith, trusting in him, that allows us to totally submit to him as master, master of our life. I'm going to use a simple illustration, one that can fall apart if you press it too hard. But I have a dog named Sadie, and I'm her master. I take care of her, I feed her, nurture her, I lovingly discipline her. I'm going to protect her. I'm her master. But the reality is, she doesn't listen real well all the time. Sometimes she does things that I don't want her to do. But I'm still her master. With some training and some discipline, she learns to submit to me and the authority that I have as her master. I know it's a simple picture, but it's really truly that way with Christ. If we have accepted him as our Lord and Savior, he is our master. It doesn't matter how perfectly we are following him, he is still our master. So the question isn't, is he master? The question is, have we submitted to him as our master, as our Lord? Every time we sing the song, and I never can remember titles, but when we were singing More of You, we remember that? More of you. I always struggle just getting through those words. Lord, I need more of you. As if he's holding back. If he's holding back. To me, every time I hear that song, it's like, I need to surrender more of me to him. More of me to him. 
The reality is this, I believe. If we understand him as Lord, if we understand the blessings that come from allowing lordship to be a part of our walk, the greater blessings, I believe, the greater blessings of the promises of God will be present in our life to the greater length that he is truly being allowed to be Lord in our life. The freedom that he died to give us as I submit unto him as the Lord of my life, I believe there will be more of those promises. You want more joy of the Lord? You want more peace in turbulent times? You want to know his presence in a greater way? You want to hear his voice more clearly? You want to sense his love in a deeper way? I believe as we submit to his lordship, we will experience all of those things in greater and greater ways. I want to close with the scripture that I shared earlier in Colossians 2, verse 6. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Really, for any of us, when we receive Christ Jesus as Lord, a few things had to take place. We had to recognize just how needy we were. We had to humble ourselves and acknowledge we needed help. And that he was the only one who could help us. Continue in the same way that you received Christ. Be rooted in him. Stay rooted in him. What does it mean to stay rooted? What does it mean? We need to be in the word. We need to seek him. We need to be in prayer. We need to be rooted in him that we might be built up, that we might bear much more fruit, that we could be even more established in our faith, the faith that we're taught, hopefully by those who teach you the word, but especially by the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher, that we might understand in greater ways what it truly means when the Father bestowed upon him the title of Lord, the office of Lord, and what it means for us to submit to him as that Lord of our lives. Let's close in prayer. Father, I pray that, pray that you help us all to understand what it means to declare Jesus as Lord in a better way, in a deeper way, a way that your word shows us, reveals to us. I thank you that he is Lord. That because of that, salvation was possible because of what he did. Dying on that cross for our sins. That he defeated sin and death and was raised from the dead. That he is Lord. God, I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal those things in our heart that are competing for the lordship in our life. God, that we wouldn't be content with knowing that one day we will be in heaven with you. That we wouldn't be content with just that, Lord. That we would have this desire to live for you here on this earth. 
Forgive us, Father, when we allow those things of the world compete with the Lordship of Jesus in our life. Thank you, Father, that you will give us the grace to continue to surrender as we continue to receive it. And Lord, now I, I do pray for each of us as we go home. Pray for protection on what may be slippery roads. Father, I pray that we would go knowing and understanding that we go as your representatives to a world that needs to understand who Jesus is and what's available through what he did. That we would continually be the ambassadors of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would truly be faithful to your word, that you would give us the words to speak when you give us those divine appointments, that there would be a freedom to speak the truth in love, and that you would receive all the glory and honor in it. In Jesus' name, amen.